Yeah, let's continue to pray a little bit. <clears throat> yeah, so Father, we um, we're so thankful today that you are the way maker. God, I pray today that you would make a way through our religion, through what we've made church, what we've turned it into, that you would make a way through that to our hearts this morning, that you would make a way through our sin, our selfishness, our arrogance, and our pride. That you would make a way to where we could see your glory today, oh God. So God, we just pray that you would just remove everything of this world and that we would see your glory this morning. So we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, so we're back in Acts, of course. God's presence, God's power, and God's kingdom purpose for us. So every week we come to the text and kind of look and see, you know what, like learning from the text, what the title is going to be. And, um, you know, I want so bad to preach that sermon. And, and you know, I thought, well, it's going to go out on the, on the internet and maybe your worst beat down ever might be, that would still be a little bit rough, so kind of brought back to what really the text is, and this is it. Finding joy in the beat down. So maybe this morning you've come to church and life has been a beat down for you. You know, maybe, maybe you're not feeling too good this morning. Maybe Maybe your finances aren't working out real well. Maybe your marriage is rough this morning. Maybe you just feel depressed this morning. And you came here this morning, and you're hoping that church is going to make you feel better. I don't know where you're coming from this morning, but here's what I do know. I know that this life can beat us down sometimes. I know the world, the flesh, and the devil can do a number on us. And so for me to come in here this morning and give you some flowery sermon to try to make you feel better would be a dishonor to God and to his word. I'd try to veneer things over and make it to be something that it's not. Because man, life can be hard sometimes. This life is so short. I mean, it, it can be over this life in this world. It can be over today. We take so much for granted. Man, we, we want to live our best life now. What does that mean? We want, we want to be comfortable. We want to have plenty of money. I mean, we want everybody to be happy. And sometimes that's the worst thing for us spiritually. Because when all of that happens, we turn away from God and we turn to ourselves. And you know, one of the most difficult things that God does in our lives is save us from ourselves. 
Here's what Jesus said. Talking about his teaching here. He said, I've told you all this so that you may have peace. It didn't say happiness. It says peace in me. Of course, that's in our relationship with Christ. Here on earth in this life right now that you're living, you will have many trials and sorrows. There will be times when life is going to be a beat down. But he says, take heart because I have overcome the world. Past tense, it's already happened. So let me ask you something. Have you had many trials and sorrows? Has life been hard? Then here's the good thing, and here's the hope. See, because if you put your hope in this world, you put your hope in this flesh, and you put your hope in this life, then there will be a beat down. But if you put your hope in Jesus, see, that's where everything changes. He just got through telling us that this life, you will hurt. Transitional word. Here's where it changes. But take heart, take courage, be encouraged, because this is why I, Jesus, have overcome everything that's beating you down. Everything that's crushing you. I have, not thy will, not a might, I have overcome all of it. So when I place my hope in him, then I find joy. James 1, 2, and 4, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials. Can you do that? I mean, right in the middle of your trial, right in the middle of your suffering, right in the middle of your hurt, can you jump, just bring up right in the middle of that and say, that's joy? Well, see, don't confuse joy with happiness. Amen. Happiness is whenever you're smiling and you're laughing and everybody's, the circumstances are good and you're happy. The bad thing about happiness is, is as soon as your circumstances change, your happiness is gone. But see, joy is something that God places within us. Help me out here. Through the Holy Spirit is love. Joy. The second one's joy. So that means God places it inside of you, deep within you. The world doesn't put that in there. Another person doesn't put that in there. Your job doesn't, your bank account, nothing of this world puts that joy in you. God does. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. He produces it in you, and it comes through you. So he says, consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, and this is where our text is gonna take us today, because you know that the testing of your faith, notice what he doesn't say whenever life gets hard. He said whenever life is so crushing, when it's such a beat down, that it tests you, that you really even believe in God. When you get to that point, it's, like it's, not, it's not about God being good, it's about like, do I really even believe there is a God? See, that produces endurance. And he's, listen, don't fight it. Let endurance have its full effect. Don't fight it off. Let it roll. Let God do what God needs to do in you. 
so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. <laughs> so the thief, the devil, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Let me ask you something. Has he stole your joy? Has he taken your hope? Has it been crushed out of you? Has the beatdown got you to the point to where it is all gone out of you? See, because that's what he wants to do. He wants to steal it away. Something that God gave you, he wants to steal it away. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And that does not mean your best life now. That does not mean that your job's going to go well. It doesn't mean your health is going to go well. It doesn't mean your marriage is automatically going to go well because you're sitting in church. None of that. The abundant life is, once again, something that God puts within us. It is from the Holy Spirit. It is a joy, unspeakable, come on somebody, and full of glory. Some of y'all grew up in church. You know that. You know that old hymn. It's a joy that doesn't make sense. You can't explain it because it's birthed from God in your soul. I'm asking you today, have you got that? See, because here's where our text and here's where the Bible leads us so many times is that God is not interested in giving us happiness. He's interested in giving us himself. And when he does that, then we have real, unshakable joy. We'll pick up a little bit where we left off last week. Believers are being added to the Lord in increasing numbers. Multitudes of both men and women are joining the church. Man, things are rolling. As a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow, his shadow might episcazeo. That means to fall. That means to overshadow. That's what happened whenever Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit on some of them. There's an interesting thing once you look at this next verse because it doesn't say his shadow healed anybody. But look at what this says. There's an interesting implication in the next verse. In addition, a multitude came together from the town surrounding Jerusalem bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits and they were all, every single one was healed. They emptied the hospitals. Let me tell you something today. Does God still heal people? Absolutely yes. But the charlatan faith healers you see on TV that have got to have money before they can do anything, then here's what I want them to do. I want them to go into the hospital and empty out the hospital. God still heals, yes. But the faith healer on TV that's got to have your money, his hair is all slicked back and everything, that's not it. That's a sham. And that is, that is disgrace to the name of Jesus, and that has hurt every single one of us in Christ. So yeah, they all got emptied out here. Here's what you have to understand. At the birth of the church, this is what we're reading, the beginning of the church, there is a supernatural kingdom authority that's just roaring over everything and everybody. And here, listen, my dear friend, we are a long ways away from what we're gonna read this morning. The church that you and I experience here today 
is a long ways away from what we're reading this morning. The kingdom authority is not roaring over us anymore. Our pride, our arrogance, and our self-sufficiency is roaring across us these days. And I love God as long as I'm comfortable. I love the church as long as I'm entertained and it's all good. And that's a long ways away from what I want to read this morning, my dear friend. And we're wondering, what is wrong with church today? Well, the text is about to show us. Then the high priest rose up. He and all who were with him who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, they were filled with zealous, zeal. And we got to put jealousy, our interpreters put jealousy in there because it would confuse us if they said zeal. That's what the text says. There's their Greek right there. They were filled with zeal. Why were they, why were they zealous whenever they saw the disciples and God was healing people through the disciples? Let me explain this to you. They were filled with zeal, but it was zeal for the wrong thing. Have you ever known anybody in church that was filled with zeal, but they were filled with zeal for the wrong thing? No, you're looking at one. And I've been zealous about my church. It's not my church, by the way. When I was younger, it was all about my church and about building the church and all making me look good and more numbers and made me look good. And man, let's keep the show rolling. That's zealous for the wrong thing. That's in love with ministry because it reflects good on me. So what were they zealous about? They were zealous about the temple. Because according to them, see, you came to them in the temple, they ran the temple, and they would give you, they thought they would give you repentance of sin and forgiveness of sin. (laughs) No man can do that. That is ridiculous. And here are these upstart fishermen from Galilee come in and say, no, you don't get repentance at the temple and forgiveness of sin. You get repentance from Jesus of Nazareth who died on the cross. And see, here's the thing, we don't understand that. Because we sing glory to the cross. We love the cross. But in their day and time, the cross it would be like if a group of people today got together and they were all singing a song about glory to the electric chair or to lethal injection, we would think that is ridiculous. And for a group of people to get around and start talking about glory to the cross, to them, it was ridiculous. And you're going to say you're forgiven through a cross? That's the most cursed thing there is on the face of the earth. And so they were zealous because they were intimidated because they thought they gave repentance and forgiveness through the temple. They were zealous about the temple, their land, the law, the first five books of the Bible, 613 commandments, and their Jewish identity. And anything that might compromise or threaten any of that, they were zealous to bring it to an end. And listen, if you go back and read the Old Testament, it's very understandable why they were zealous about this, because any time that one of these got compromised, they ended up going into foreign land and being going into a foreign oppression. You have to understand something. At this time, Rome was oppressing them, although they still had their temple, and they still had their land, their law, and they still had their Jewish identity. 
So anything that threatened that, the religious leaders were going to shut it down. Well, guess what this new movement of Jesus was doing? It was threatening the number one thing. Do you know where, do you know, listen, do you know where the disciples were preaching from? They were in the temple. They were in the temple saying, you don't get forgiven in the temple, you get forgiven in Jesus. Just a few weeks later, a few weeks before this, these religious leaders crucified him. So these disciples in the temple complex preaching this were saying, the religious leaders by implication are the worst of all the sinners. So you can see why they were zealous. Don't get confused. It wasn't that they were jealous. They were zealous. So they arrested the apostles and they put them in public jail. But there's this supernatural kingdom authority power that's rolling that's not going to stop the church, the movement, forgiveness of sins through Jesus. So an angel of the Lord opened up the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and tell the people about this life because there is nothing else that is really life apart from Jesus Christ. What's going to matter to you two minutes after you die? See, that's what life is all about. Two minutes after you die, it's not going to matter how comfortable you were in this life. Two minutes after you die, a lot of things that you stress about and you worry about right now, they will not matter. That's where you find out what matters. See, they were preaching life. The angel calls it this life. See, because when you got Jesus, you got real life then. Now, you might want to get your phone out, take a picture of the screen right quick, so I'm about to jump right back off of just in case you're interested in what angels do. They proclaim God's message. They protect God's people. They offer encouragement. They give guidance. They carry out punishment. They patrol the earth. They fight the forces of evil. They're both good and bad angels. Revelation 12, 7 explains that. And they offer continuous praise to God in the future throughout all of eternity. But nobody worships angels, and angels aren't God, so don't go praying to angels. Big difference between angels and Jesus, okay? Matter of fact, then be careful about, you know, you might hear stories about people that, you know, saw angels and stuff. Don't pray to see an angel. Everybody I see in the Bible who saw an angel, they almost died. It scared them so bad. Be careful with that. We don't want to worship angels. So hearing this, hearing this news to go get back in the temple and keep preaching this life, they entered the temple at daybreak. And they began to teach. When the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin, the full council of Israelites, and they sent orders to the jail to have them brought. But when the servants got there, <laughs> they did not find them in the jail, so they returned and they reported, hey, we found the jail securely locked, so evidently the angels shut the door back and locked it. With a guard standing in front of the doors, guarding an empty jail cell. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Mm. As the captain of the temple police and the chief priests heard these things, they were baffled about them, wondering what would come of this. 
Someone came and reported to them, look, the men that you put in jail are standing in the temple and they're teaching the people. The same Greek word stand right here is a word that you read in Ephesians that says when you've done everything you can do, stand. So here they are, and they're standing. The angel gave them the command, you go stand and you preach, and here they are, they are standing in the temple saying this is not any, you don't find repentance and forgiveness here, you find it in Jesus. When the commander went with the servants and brought them, (laughs) nobody's grabbing anybody hard now, now, without force, because these religious leaders were afraid. And you see these disciples, these apostles, who are fearless. Now let me ask you a question, which ones are really close to God? See, because the opposite of faith is fear. Because they were afraid the people might stone them. After they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest asked, How exactly did you get out of prison? What, I mean, that's my, that's my number one question. If I'm there, I'm like, Ask them, you know, how did you get out and the jail cell was still closed? How did that happen? Because I'm interested, I want to know. You know, you know why they don't want to know? Because they know they're wrong. Because listen, their religion is driving them against the grain of the kingdom of God. It is not going with the kingdom, it's going against the kingdom. Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? They won't even say Jesus. They won't even say his name. Do you know why they won't say his name? Because listen, there really is power in that name. We're talking about the authority rule of Jesus, and the reason they can't say it is because they can't stand up under it. Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and they're probably like, oh, really? (laughs) Thank you. It's good to know. (coughs) And are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Let me ask you a question. Just a few weeks earlier, whenever Jesus was on trial and Pontius Pilate got up there and he washed his hands and he said, I wash my hands of this man's blood, what did the crowd cry out to him? His blood be on us and on our children. So a few weeks later, they're like, you're trying to make us guilty of this man's blood. You just said it a few weeks earlier, man. You know how quickly we forget. He said, You're making us out to be the bad guys. Because you are the bad guys in this story. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than people. We've already seen Peter say that. So we got to get down to the bottom of how can he say this? Why does he say this? And why are they not afraid? And that's where we go today. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus whom you have murdered by hanging him on a... Interesting. We don't use cross this time, we use tree. So he's talking to Jewish religious leaders who have got, most of them have got the Old Testament memorized, by the way. So when he says tree, this means something to them because we've got the tree of good and evil. That's in the garden. We've got the cross now, and now we've got the tree of life that was in the garden, the center of the garden, but also in Revelation, it's in the center of the new Jerusalem. 
with the river of life flowing out of it. It's got, it's, it bears its fruit every month and the, its leaves are for the healing of the nation. And anybody who takes away from this word and this prophecy will be taking away their right to the tree of life. So whenever he said, on a tree, I mean, they're not like, why would he say a tree? Why didn't he say cross? This had a serious implication to them. Let me think of, let's think about this for a moment, because here's, here is a New Testament verse quoting an Old Testament verse, Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse. So what happened when Adam and Eve ate from the, the tree of good and evil? Well, there's a curse that came over us. So Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, here it is from the Old Testament, curse is everyone who is hung on a tree. So when he said tree on this day, they were like, why didn't he say cross? Oh, no, no. Listen, they knew the Bible, and they knew what he was saying. See, here's what you understand, is that Jesus became sin for us when he hung on the cross. I can't, I, listen, that's, that is too high and lofty for me. I don't get that. That's way too high up there for me. I can't even reach for that. I don't understand that. I want to stand here this morning and say, oh, I got that. I don't. I don't have that. God exalted this man to his right hand. That's the hand of power and authority as ruler and savior to give. Listen, please don't ever misunderstand this church. You don't muster up repentance in and of yourself. Your flesh can't repent. Repentance is given to you as a gift just like faith is to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. Where are they proclaiming this once again? In the temple, to the religious leaders. To say that they're offended by this is an understatement. Their religion is getting crushed right out from under their feet. And so what do we do when the thing that's our security gets crushed out from under our feet, we begin to lash out. We'll do anything to protect that. We are witnesses of these rhema. Some of you know that, y'all are on your logos, you know rhema, rhema means, that's a Greek word for things that have been spoken. We are witnesses of the things that are spoken, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him right here. Arche right here, is the, the end of this word, arche means rule, whoever believe in his authority rule. So, so here's, listen, what they're saying right here is for those who are in Christ, that put their faith in Jesus, to see anybody that's trusting and obeying in his kingdom authority, that's where they are. And the implication is, you're not there. We put it in the words of save and loss. So the, the apostles are saying, we're saved, and you're lost. Once again, very offensive to them. When they heard these things, the Greek word right here is they were cut to the heart. The word of God is alive. It's living, active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the very joints the very middle of who we are. And see, that's what's happened right here. Whenever these apostles, whenever they tell them the truth, it cuts them to their heart. And they wanted to repent of all their sins and make things right. That's what you would expect. But they, look, look at this. They were threatened. So they wanted to kill them. 
sort of natural reaction right there. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, you ever heard of him before? Oh, well, he's going to show up again at the end of the book of Acts because he has a pupil by the name of Saul who's going to meet Jesus on the Damascus Road and is going to become the Apostle Paul and is going to write, God's going to use him to write over half of the New Testament. That's his pupil. At this time, when, he tell, when he's standing up there, he's got a young man named Saul. He's teaching the Bible. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. He said to them, men of Israel, be careful. Oh, that's good advice about what you're about to do to these men. Good advice, because they're being reckless. Some time ago, Thetis rose up claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed and came to nothing because he died. Look, 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 give him another example. After this, after this man, Judas, a Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. He also perished. He also died, and all his followers were scattered. Well, you know what the difference between Jesus and Thetis and Judas is? Jesus is alive. Resurrection changes everything. That's the same thing. It's the difference between Jesus and Buddha. Jesus and anybody else, you're going to put up there that anybody worships. The difference is this. They died and are in the grave. Jesus, the grave could not hold him. Amen. Three days, we just, we just celebrated this a few weeks ago. Three days later, he resurrected victorious over sin, death, and the grave. That's the difference. We are worshiping a resurrected Jesus. And let me tell you something, church. This is what put boldness, emboldened these disciples and these apostles. Because when they got threatened with death, well, they had just got through looking at Jesus resurrected bodily, eating dinner with them, seeing the hole still in his hand. Listen, this church, gotta hear this. The Bible never says the scars. Okay, we made that up. That's our stuff. It makes for wonderful songs and stuff like that, but it doesn't say scars in the Bible. Seeing the holes in his hand and the hole in his side resurrected. So listen, they're not afraid of death. They've already seen that Jesus was victorious through death, and they know that in him they will be too. They're not afraid of it. So in the present case, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this works is of human origin, it will fail. Can anybody say amen to that? But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow it. You may even be found fighting against God and they were persuaded by him. Makes me think of whenever King Saul in the Old Testament, whenever David, God anointed David to be the next king, and Saul was trying to kill David, he was fighting against God the whole way. And matter of fact, we'll see this, that whenever, whenever Saul becomes, the, the, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, when he gets his conversion, Jesus says, isn't it hard for you to kick against the goads, to fight against God? And let me ask you something, have you ever fought against God? Have you ever found yourself going against the grain? 
of God, against the grain of the kingdom of God. And if there's no way you can fight and win that battle. That is always a losing battle. Now listen to this. These men right here, as messed up as they were, they were like, oh yeah, we don't want to fight against God, so they were persuaded. After they called in the apostles, they had them flogged. Okay, so that's so easy for me to read. But the flogging, they would beat them on one side with leather straps and flip them over and beat them on their back, flip them back over, beat them on their stomach, flip them back over, beat them on their back. It was a horrendous beating. And wait a second, wait a second. My expectation gap just got crushed because the angel told us to do this and now we did this and we get beat? So you mean I obey God's word and I get beaten? I thought if I obeyed God's word, I live my best life now. I thought everybody locks me and pats me on the back and they're like, hey, you're doing God's will. We all love you. We'll support you. So you mean the very religious leaders that are supposed to be representing God when we do what God tells us to do, they are the ones that order the beating. And wait, there's no trial, by the way. They just beat them. There's no, let's, let's try them and see. They just beat them. And after they beat them, after the beating, then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. Kind of like, we'll beat them and get their attention. After we beat them like this, that will surely get them in line. Surely after taking a beating like this, they're going to be humbled and they will listen to what we got to say. Well, look at this. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. They were finding joy in the beatdown. How do you get beat almost to death and walk out of there rejoicing? Let me tell you something. See, there's this massive gap between where you and I sit today and where they were then. And this massive gap between us and them is that they were so close to Jesus that when they suffered, it brought them closer to Jesus. We're so far away now that whenever we suffer, it tends to pull us away from Jesus. Because our expectation was is that if I'm close to Jesus, then I will not suffer. Because that's what my Americanized version of Christianity has taught me. And it's wrong. It's so unbiblical. And so it's crushing so we don't find joy in the beatdown instead of finding joy in the beatdown because it's sanctifying us because it's beating the world right out of us because it's beating the pride right out of us because it's beating the, beating the arrogance right out of us. We don't find joy in it because we love our arrogance and our pride and our comforts. They didn't love that. They truly loved Jesus not because he would make their life more comfortable, their job better, their marriage better, and they'd have a better healthy bank account. They loved Jesus because 
He died on the cross for their sins and they were forgiven and they were headed for heaven and they could not get over that. Heaven was coming to them. I mean, they were free now from everything. Do you see something, church? Listen, we're not free. We're, we're in bondage. We're in bondage to ourselves. We can't, I mean, like... I'm sitting in my house this week, in my nice brick home, in my office, looking out my window at my nice vehicles, in the air conditioner and heating blowing, and, and all this comfort reading this, and like, man, I'm so far away from what I'm reading here. And I'm supposed to come in here this morning and, t- and try to help you to understand this? whenever I can't even really understand it. See, we come and read these little stories and we're like, yeah, I wanna go out there and be a better Christian this week. Man, what a great story. And these dudes just suffered and rejoiced over it. They didn't walk out of there going, oh, we're better Christians. They went out of that day and they were like, oh, that hurt really bad, but we're closer to Jesus. And every day, man, they didn't stop. Every day in the temple, they didn't get away from the temple. They were like, I mean, hey, let's pray about this first. I mean, if I was there, I mean, I'm the little whiny baby that'd be going, hey, can we pray about this first and make sure, so we go back to the temple because they might beat us up again. That hurt. Nobody's praying about this. They know, that's why, listen, the angel told them they know the message was clear what they were to do. No praying about this. Let's go do it. Let's just do this. And in various homes, so they're in the temple, and in various, they're in home groups. Why are they doing that? Because not only out there in the temple, but when they come together in this intimate setting, that's where real community, they can really teach they can really bond. That's where real community happens right there. And they continued teaching and proclaiming the euangelion, the good news, that Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah, that he's God, man. I mean, that's how he overcame death, sin, and the grave. That's why he's victorious, because he is God. That's why he is alive today, because he is God. Man, they were fired up about this. Are we fired up about that today? <coughs> yes, we're fired up about it today if. If my comforts are not compromised, if we don't have to suffer. How long has it been since you've been to a funeral? They are painful. We've had two family funerals in the last month. They're painful. Because it's not what God intended. When he created Adam and Eve, man, they're supposed to be living forever. They took the forbidden fruit and jacked everything up for all of us. And we come to a funeral, we don't come to, I mean, like, we had two loved ones that were in Christ, and so we rejoice over that, but yet we suffer, it's painful. And the Bible says, 
It's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of celebration. Because there at the house of mourning, we consider our mortality of this human flesh, that this is where this world leads to. So I better have my eternal stuff right. Here's how all the apostles and the people we're reading about, here's how they, here's what, here's how it all ended up for them. Matthew was beheaded with a sword. Mark died in Alexandria after being dragged through the streets of the city. Luke was hanged on an olive tree in Greece. John died a natural death, but they unsuccessfully tried to boil him in oil before that. Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. James the Less was thrown from a, from a height and then beaten with clubs. Philip was hanged. Bartholomew was whipped and beaten until death. Andrew was crucified and preached at the top of his voice to his persecutors until he died. Thomas was run through with a spear. Jude was killed with an arrow of an executioner. Mathis was stoned and then beheaded, as was Barnabas. And then Paul, behind that little thing right there, Paul was beheaded in Rome. Every single one of them, they said, you recant and we'll, we won't kill you. None of them would recant. You know why they wouldn't recant? Because they had seen the resurrected Jesus and they would not recant. Here's what Paul says. For I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. Sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. See, here it is, man. It's like this right here, it's like this. This is if this is our joy right here, then it's like this world we live in, man. It's like these crashing waves. I mean, there's sometimes that like, man, it just comes in, it crashes, and it overflows. Man, I mean, it just overflows that joy to where like there is pain and suffering that just comes wave after wave sometimes. It's like, man, our joy is just drowning in that. There's life in this world, but nothing will move this rock that's in Christ Jesus. It stays, it remains. Even the waves, they crash and they crash, it will not be moved. And there will come a time when that tide's going to roll back out and the sun, S-O-N, will shine on that joy again. See, that's the good news when we're in Christ is that this is as close to hell as we are going to get. This is temporary. How do I find joy in the beat down? Here's what they did. Those apostles, man, they trust the sovereignty of God. That's, that's why they didn't go, oh, wait, do we go back to the temple? No, they, they're like, listen, we go back to the temple and we preach because we believe that whatever happens to us, this is what God ordained. Yeah, they beat us. Okay, God ordained this. Let's go out rejoicing. We just got closer to Jesus. They let us go. Hey, let's rejoice. Let's go out and preach Jesus. Hey, well, how would you like to live there? That regardless of what happened to you, that you were fully trusting that God had ordained this, whether good or bad, as you know that you're not responsible for the outcome because you're under his kingdom, authority, rule, and he is responsible for the outcome. Seeing past the temporary to the eternal, well, that's easier said than done. That just rolls off the tongue real easy, but that is not easy to do. 
Because man, when the temporary is bringing suffering and pain, it's hard to see past that. So here's what I've got to do every day. I've got to pray, I've got to be praising, and I need to be pondering the word of God every single day. If I'm not doing this and there's no way, this suffer, this is just a bunch of words up here. If I can't do this, if I'm not soaking in every day, man, pondering the word of God, praising, worshiping, and praying, then this right here, it's just a flowery sermon junk. I hate flowery sermon junk. Now let's just get down to the real, what it really is. Why on earth have you come to church your whole life and all the preachers are like, you gotta be praying, you gotta be worshiping, you gotta be reading your Bible. Because they're all right, it works. Every single one of the preachers that they are absolutely 100% right and it works. But your flesh doesn't want you doing this and the world's gonna throw everything at you and the enemy everything at you to keep you from consistently doing this. Because when you're in a weakened state, then the enemy of your soul is merciless. He's not going to come at you and be like, oh, you just had two deaths in your family or you just had a death in your family or whatever. Let's just take it easy on them right now. Let's just pull back. No, it's like, man, when, whenever you're weakened, it's like he comes in for the kill then. Totally discourage you. Relentless. If I'm not praying and praising, man, if I'm not doing something to fill up my soul, because it will empty quickly. And I will be empty how long has it been since you've been wrong, smooth, out, where there was nothing left? That is the beat down. All of us, sooner or later, you live long enough and you will get there. But man, to get to the point where we could find joy in the beat down, Instead of discouragement, I don't know about you, that's where I want to be. And I don't get there by playing the game that we call church today. Going through the motions of singing the songs and listening to the sermon and all that is not going to get me there. There's going to have to be something very real, very consistent. And that is the only thing that's going to draw me close enough to when the beatdown comes, joy will spring up. So, the tortured for Christ guy, something Warmbrand? Richard? Warmbrand. Richard Warmbrand? <laughs> so, this past week, Maybe you, you might go watch the movie Tortured for Christ. If you want to get a little perspective, it's a really good movie. I never, I've read all these quotes about him and everything, but whenever he's 14 years in a Romanian prison, he miraculously, for no reason, just gets released. He's walking out, just shards of clothes hanging off him. His teeth are rotting out of his mouth. He comes walking up on this peasant woman who's got this, this, thing of strawberries, beautiful strawberries. And she sees him and her heart is moved and she offers him a strawberry. <laughs> He's almost dead. And he says, no thank you. I'm going to go home, see my wife, and we're going to fast 
in honor of what I've been through and so that I won't lose the joy I had in that prison. He would be put in solitary confinement for weeks and he would find himself dancing because he was so close to Jesus in this suffering. He'd be overjoyed to the point to where he'd have to get up and dance. And he said, I don't want to lose that joy. <laughs> really? I'm so far away from that. And I stand up for this morning and try to tell you about this. God forgive me. because I don't know anything of that. A little bit of suffering comes my way and I crumble like a baby. So God, forgive us for what we've made church into. God, we're so spoiled. We're so comfortable. We're so filled with pride. We're so self-sufficient, we think. So God, we ask you to forgive us. Would you please stand this morning? So we'll just switch. You stand. Take a seat. I was wondering if anybody would be willing to come up here and pray with me this morning. Yeah, you know, Lord, we, um, God, we never intended to make church into something that we made it into. A church full of fake plastic smiles. A church culture that chases after comfort that wants to marry the world with the gospel. When everything we've read in your word says that they can't get married because you can't love the world and love God. God, forgive us for being so wrapped up 
and worshiping our comforts. And that we tried to wrap you in those comforts too and make it all the same. I just can't imagine how a group of men can get beat almost to death and walk out rejoicing. I can't imagine how a man spends 14 years in prison beaten almost to death and comes walking out and says, I got to go fast because I don't want to lose that joy, God. We are so far removed from that, Lord. So we ask you to forgive us today. We ask you to grant us repentance, O Lord. God, we pray that today that you bring us back to that place that we wandered so far away from. God, we ask you to break us, empty us of ourself, our worldliness, our pride, our arrogance, our vanity. we pray every week that you would stir our affections for Jesus and we don't even know what that means God our hearts are so hard and they're unaffected so soften our hearts oh God break our hearts where they need to be broken <coughs> so we long for your joy oh Lord the real joy that you have for us Somebody else pray, I'm all out.
somebody doing announcements? You are? Okay, yeah. Sorry about that. Got to do announcements after all that. You'll be seated. <laughs> wow. Okay, so on uh, May the 9th, um, we are having our uh, Mother's Day baby dedication ceremony. Um, so last year, uh, we were under the just coming back from COVID and whatnot. So we did not do a dedication last year. Um, so if you missed it last year and you want to get back in the swing of things this year, uh, feel free to, to do that as well, as well as if you had a newborn this year, um, we'll do a baby dedication ceremony. Um, please send uh, Laura an email or let Mark Moore know. Um, or you can send an email to info at the bridge mm.com or just come tell me after service and, and we'll put your name down on the list. Um, next Sunday at 2 p.m. after home groups, uh, we're having the Hope uh, Pregnancy Center here uh, to host their monthly prayer meeting. If you're not familiar with them, they um, are an organization, a, a ministry that focuses on helping women and families of all ages. Um, that are uh, they're either pregnant or they have uh, just recently had newborn newborns in their household. So uh, please join us if that is on your heart. Uh, we'd love to have you. And then finally, we wanted to let you guys know of a free resource that we have you guys signed up for um, that's open to everybody uh, that attends the bridge, whether you come in person or you attend online. It's called Right Now Media. They have a um, a full suite of devotionals and, and uh, things you can do as families or home groups or um, even if may maybe you want to do something with your accountability partner or just a self-study. Uh, feel free to, to hit us up, take a picture of this, or uh, let one of us, uh, one of the leaders at the church know um, that you're interested in that. We'll get you signed up. That's all we've got, guys. Uh, if everybody would stand, I'll, I'll pray us out and we'll, uh, we'll have a great day. Um, Heavenly Father, we just are so thankful to be here today, Lord. I don't know how to follow that up, Lord, except for just uh, speak to us right right now where we're at, Lord. And I just pray that uh, as we go off to home group and go out of here as families that we don't forget what happened here this morning. Um, it's so humbling uh, that you sent your son Jesus for us, Lord. And so we're so thankful for all you've done and all that you will continue to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.